Alright, alright. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Welcome back once again to Drop Pass Podcast. It is time for the eighth episode, and this week we have a stacked one in front of us since I decided to diverge a bit from our usual theme. We will start by looking at the current events in the sporting world as we always do. But we will also take a trip down the memory lane and take a look back at the NHL 2020-2021 season and specifically the trades that occurred during the regular season as well as at the NHL traded line. We will discuss the outcomes of different trades and see what kind of impact the players had in their respective teams overall. But like I mentioned, we will start this episode by looking at the ongoing events and already start this episode by predicting the outcome of the Euro 2020 final where Italy takes on England. Both semi-final games were very close contests where Italy beat the Spaniards in the penalty shootout after anti-hero Alvaro Morata failed to capitalize on his penalty shot and England grabbed the victory in the second half against Denmark after Harry Kane scored a rebound from his unsuccessful penalty shot. I said it at the start that Italy will find its way to the final so I'm going to stick to my guns and say that it still ain't coming home, even though the final will be played in the Wembley Stadium. I'm going to keep that mindset and say that Italy will be crowned as the new European champions and disappoint the home crowd while doing so. Then we will move on to the NHL finals, since we have a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion on our hands. Congratulations to Tampa Bay, and to wrap it up, we check the upcoming UFC 264, which is just a few days away. But now that I've set the mood for this episode, we can move smoothly to the actual content. So without further ado, let's get going. Here we go. And this time we'll start by congratulating the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions Tampa Bay Lightning, who took home the cup in five games against the Montreal Canadiens. They were an absolute unit throughout the playoffs, and last year's cup success played a big role this year as well, since most of their group was the exact same as last year, with new faces Ross Calden and David Savard, who both made an impact in their lineup. Their core knew what had to be done to hoist the cup and their top dogs were essential in their success, although their depth was by far their biggest strength. Players such as Alex Killorn, Andre Palat, Anthony Cirelli, Blake Coleman, Yanni Gord, Eric Chernak, Ryan McDonough and back-to-back-to-back champion Pat Maroon were crucial on their journey and enabled them to roll all four lines throughout the playoffs. Their high-intensity forecheck, deep lineup and potent top two lines overwhelmed the Canadians as well as many others on their way to the Stanley Cup. You also have to tip your cap to their coach John Cooper, who has established himself as one of the best head coaches in the league. 
He stood by his principles even though they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019 playoffs, which eventually led to two Stanley Cups and created one of the most dominant champions in the modern age. His new school coaching style and playbook combined with the excessive amount of skill in the roster enabled them to achieve this distinguished achievement of back-to-back Cups. Andrei Vasilevsky won the glorious Consmite trophy in surprise of absolutely no one. And like I've said, he has been the best goaltender in the league for a few years now and continues to get even better. He was once again their backbone in net throughout the season. And I can safely say that without him, they wouldn't have won the back-to-back cups based on the fact that he has been that dominant in the crease and numbers back it up. He posted shutouts in each of the four series clinching games and is already 23rd in the list of most winningest goalies in the NHL playoff history. In addition to those stats, his save percentage from the past two Stanley Cup runs combines to 0.931 and his goals against average has been under two goals per game. And remind you, this guy is just 26 years old, so you don't have to question why the Lightning were so dominant. I've also praised Kucherov, Point, Stamkos and Hedman in the previous episodes, so you probably get who were the top line standouts, but I have to give extra credit to Ryan McDonough, Andre Palat and Alex Killorn instead. McDonough has now played 162 postseason games, which equals to almost two regular seasons worth of playoff games, and he brings it every time he steps on the ice. In my mind, that kind of experience can be ignored, and while he isn't the flashiest defenseman, he's rock solid in their own end, and probably one of the most underappreciated demon in the league. On that same note, we have Alex Killorn, who has spent his whole professional career in Tampa Bay, and was once again the undercover hero of this Lightning squad, who unfortunately suffered a leg injury during the playoffs and had surgery to somewhat repair his broken fibula and missed the remaining two games of the Montreal series. He was their fifth best point getter in the playoffs and provided unprecedented amount of two-way ability and net from presence to their lineup. He can be thrown onto the ice no matter the situation. Similarly to their first line forward, Andre Palat, who was once again very steady presence in their first unit. Both of those guys are essential for their lineup and without them, coherence in their roster just isn't the same. And for example, Palat's presence in the first line enables Point and Kucherov to roam more freely in the offensive zone when they know Palat will be the first guy back in their own zone. These three guys are priceless for their core and don't get enough recognition for their efforts but still are extremely respected in their locker room. It also has to be mentioned that the big rig one-man dynasty Patrick Maroon won his third Stanley Cup in a row and is the only player to accomplish that achievement in the 21st century. He might not be the best role model for young players on how to train during the offseason, but he has done his workouts in the past and now joins the elite group of three-peat champs. Unfortunately, there isn't much to be said about the Canadians since they overachieved in my mind this year and put up a good fight against the champions who just roll over them. The depth and clutch scoring from Tampa was just once again too much to handle. 
and you just have to appreciate the fact that another underdog story was born in this year's playoffs. The Habs got contribution from all their lines in certain regards, but the top end just made the biggest difference for the Bolts. Carey Price showed that he still has some left in the tank and isn't just a shadow of his past. He proved that he can compete against the best of the best on this level when the games matter the most. And overall, if the ownership and management can find ways to make the team even better, I can see the Habs having a pretty bright future with their upcoming talents. Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki were the standouts, but they still have ways to go in order to make a huge impact in the league, which isn't a huge surprise. They have been building their roster smartly, and if they can figure out the coaching situation, they have a pipeline full of promising young players, which will make the jump to the big stage in the next coming years. So don't worry Habs fans, this was just the beginning. Then we move on to the upcoming UFC 264 event, which will be hosted in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas this Saturday, and the main event will be the possible end to the trilogy between the notorious Conor McGregor and the diamond Dustin Poirier. Overall the fight card isn't as stacked as the previous 263, but we have few very intriguing matchups along with the main event. In the prelims, we have a fight between 13th ranked Omari Akhmedov and 15th ranked Brad Tavares in the middleweight division. Veteran Carlos Condit will face Max Payne Griffin in the last prelim fight. In the bantamweight division, Sugar Sean O'Malley will start the main card as he's back in the octagon after sovereign performance in his last fight. Taito Ivasa is trying to climb up the heavyweight division rankings against Craig Hardy and the co-main event will be a firework display between number 2 ranked Gilbert Burns and number 4 ranked Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in the welterweight division. Akhmedov is starting to gain speed after his tough loss to 12th ranked Chris Weidman in the spring of 2020 but comes to this fight with win over Tom Breeze via submission. He's very well-rounded fighter with very solid wrestling background and thus will probably try to take this fight to the ground against explosive Brad Tavares. Tavares on the other hand has had few setbacks in the previous years and will try to get things rolling once again after his win against Antonio Carlos Junior in January. He will face a big challenge against well-balanced fighter with wins over relatively big names in the recent years, and therefore I'm predicting win for Akhmedov by decision after three rounds. Next we move on to the last prelim fight in the welterweight division where veteran Carlos Condit will face up against Max Griffin. Condit, the seasoned veteran, has as well gained some momentum after brutal losing streak and comes to this fight with two wins under his belt. The former interim champ is probably facing the last part of his career but is still in shape to challenge the upcomers of this division. Griffin on the other hand has ambitions to climb up the welterweight rankings to challenge for the title while he has ended his last two fights in knockouts and is looking to do the same this weekend. He earned the performance of the night in his last fight against Chinese Song Kenan and decided to head back to the octagon with fairly short notice. I'm expecting heavy exchanges between these two since 
neither of them wants to take any steps back and both guys are known for their quick and powerful hands. I'm predicting stoppage in the second round and the winner will be Max Griffin. Then we move on to the main card and the first fight will be Sugar Sean O'Malley against relatively unknown Chris Moutinho. There probably isn't much to say about this matchup since O'Malley really showed in his last fight that he's dedicated to gain his spot back in the top 15 in the bantamweight division with performance of the night and I'm expecting dominant exhibition of his skills once again. I'm going to be bold with my prediction and say that this fight will end in the first round via KO for O'Malley and he will set his sights to top 15 contender. Then we head straight to heavyweight division where Australian tied Tuivasa will take on former NFL defensive end Greg Hardy. Hardy looked relatively good in his last fight against Marcin Tubura, but once he got himself gassed trying to end the fight in the first round, he got taken down and the match ended in a TKO on the mat. He still doesn't look like a top 10 contender because of his reckless style of fighting, but it will be interesting to see what kind of lessons he has learned during the 6 month break because Bam Bam will brutally take the opportunity to finish the fight if Hardy isn't on his A game. Tuivasa is coming into this fight with two knockout wins against Stefan Struve and Harry Hansaker and after his 3 fight losing streak he's looking to break once again to the top 15 and we could see him do that this weekend. This fight will most likely end in a knockout, so you can expect Haymaker showdown when the big boys turn up the heat. I'm gonna say that Tuivasa will take this one in the second round, but on the hindsight, I'm hoping that Hardy has evolved his game to the next level and could break into the top 15 with win over Tuivasa. The last fight before the main event is the electric matchup between number two ranked Gilbert Durinho Burns and number 4 ranked Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I feel like this match has the potential to become fight of the night or we could see the performance of the night level knockout. Burns suffered an excruciating loss to the welterweight division Kamaru Usman in his previous fight but is looking to bounce back in this one. He was levels below Usman but could end up being a real tenacious challenge for the Wonder Boy. If Burns is able to take Thompson to the ground and establish his presence there, it could become very one-sided match from that point on. He has very high level jujitsu, while Thompson is one of the most dedicated kickboxers in the sport and should use that to his advantage while being aware of Wonder Boy's weapon arsenal. Burns is also ferocious while standing and has good punching power, but we'll see what kind of game plan they've set for their clash. Thompson, on the other hand, has had a lengthy career in the UFC and has established himself as one of the best welterweights to step into the octagon and has kept his level after a few setbacks in the recent years. His last two fights have ended in a unanimous decision against Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal and after two wins is heading towards the title contention. He isn't a slouch on the mat either with black belt in his back pocket but I still see big advantage on the ground for Burns. This fight could end up being a brutal stand-up tilt which I'm hoping for but 
Thompson's huge reach advantage could force Burns to take this fight to the ground. And I see the fight ending there via submission for Burns. Third round RNC to be exact. The main event will be the third class between number five ranked Conor McGregor and number one contender Dustin Poirier. This bout will decide the trilogy after Conor won the first fight on his way to double champ while Poirier avenged his loss on January 24th, 2021 in Abu Dhabi. The previous fight ended in a TKO after Poirier made heavy damage on Conor's lead leg in the first round and ended the night in a flurry of punches that found their way to the target and this fight was quickly over. Conor didn't look out of place in the rematch but the calf kicks made the biggest difference in that fight and eventually he had to take notice to those kicks while his head got wide open. He's still extremely lethal striker and hurt Poirier in the previous match but wasn't just able to put Diamond to sleep with his patented left hand. Meanwhile, Dustin has to find a new way to compromise McGregor's game plan cause this time it will be all in, no holds barred. He is lethal in the stand-up game as well, has black belt in jiu-jitsu and while he has the capability to take the fight to the ground, I can only expect heavy exchanges in this one. Since Diamond has been the more active one of these two, I'm expecting him to take the third fight and end the trilogy with a bang. While Connor still has the one-punch knockout power that he got known for a few years back, he isn't at his peak either, and the previous match showed that Dustin can take Connor's left hand. But we'll see what kind of tricks these two have up in their sleeves when the bell rings on Saturday. I'ma say Poirier will win this one via TKO in the fourth round, and that will close the book for these two. And that wraps up the current sporting headlines and we can start the trip back to memory lane. As we take a look at NHL 2020-2021 season trades and see what kind of value each team received on their behalf. There were a lot of trades in the shortened season so I'll only focus on players which are NHL regulars or taxi squad players. The season officially started on January 13th, so the first official trade was between Colorado Avalanche and Minnesota Wild. Mini traded Craig Patterson in exchange for other defenseman Ian Cole, and this was mostly a cap dump for the Avs since they were deep on the defensive side and Patterson was brought to bring more depth to their roster and was eventually flipped at the deadline to elsewhere. Cole is a well-established defensive defenseman and played 52 games for the Wild in the regular season, where he notched 8 points in total, plus 7 games in the postseason. He was steady defensive factor on the blue line, even though his point production dipped from previous two seasons. His defensive metrics were very solid. He is an UFA this summer and was a good addition to Minis blue line, bringing physical element to their back end, but we'll see if he remains in Minnesota next year. Then we head straight to the blockbuster trade of this season which saw Jack Roslovich and Patrick Laine heading to Columbus in exchange for Pierre-Luc Dubois and a third round pick to win it back. We will start by going through Laine's season which was somewhat disaster for the most part like the entire Blue Jackets season as a whole. He was quickly on the headlines after the season started when allegations of bad blood between 
the captain Pike Wheeler and Lionel reached the news reporters and just added fuel to the fire for the trade rumors. He only played one game and recorded two goals and one assist in that contest before getting traded to Columbus. There the jazz surrounding Lionel wasn't much smoother since Right from the get-go, reporters started asking questions surrounding the relationship with their head coach John Tortorella, who sat him on the bench from the second period till the end of the game pretty soon after the trade. While in Columbus, he recorded 10 goals and 10 assists in 45 games, but his plus-minus column really stands out, since minus 29 seems pretty cold in my opinion. He showed his brilliant offensive instincts at times but couldn't really find chemistry with his linemates like he did in Winnipeg and couldn't change the course in the remaining part of the regular season. Overall, it will be interesting to see how the things turn out for him in Columbus since they hired a new head coach for the next season and they will heavily rely upon Line's production on 5-on-5 situations as well as on the power play. Roslovich was in the same boat with Laine in Winnipeg since his agent had told the team that he wouldn't sign for the Jets and wanted a trade out of Winnipeg so he didn't play any games until the trade and got signed by the Jackets. He had a very good start to his season in Blue Jackets and overall had a very decent season recording 12 goals and 22 assists in 48 games and hopefully this will carry over to next season where he makes the breakthrough to a reliable top 6 producer. In reverse, Winnipeg received a third overall pick Dubois from the Blue Jackets who had fairly similar season to Laine in the point production standpoint. He notched 8 goals and added 12 helpers in 41 games plus 3 assists in 7 playoff games but didn't have the impact they probably hoped for. His departure from Columbus was a disaster and we probably saw one of the worst shifts in the NHL history before he was dealt to the Jets. He has shown glimpses of brilliance in his game from time to time and will probably develop into a solid top 6 power forward in the future, but hope for the Jets is that he can put up better numbers on the board next season. So overall, not a bad deal for either team, but the future and probably already the next season will determine which team got the long end of the stick in this trade. Next trade happened on February 13th when Ottawa dealt Cedric Paquette and Alex Galchenyuk to Carolina in exchange for forward Ryan Zingle. Galchenyuk ended up finishing the season in another uniform so we will visit his season later on. But both Puckett and Jingle are UFAs this summer, so overall it was just an exchange of few depth pieces. Puckett is known for his penalty killing ability and once he arrived in Carolina he was inserted in the bottom six role, just as he was in Ottawa. He recorded 7 points in 38 games and provided the Canes good depth and penalty killing ability, while they suffered with some injuries during the regular season. On the flip side, Zingle didn't have as big of an impact as they probably were hoping to receive, especially on the defensive side of the puck, since he put up 4 points in 11 games in the Hurricanes uniform and his numbers only got worse once he arrived in Ottawa, where he only had 9 points in 29 games. These two will most likely test the free agency 
and find themselves on depth rolls once the next season starts. And if you ask me, Carolina got the better of this trade. Just two days later, Galchenyuk was traded to Toronto. In return, they got room to their cap space, AHL veteran David Warsowski and rights to Yegor Korshkov, who played the entire season in the KHL. Galchenyuk has been this mystery throughout his career since achieving 30 goals and 50 point mark in his fourth season in Montreal. He has seen his value drop each season. 2018-2019 season was his last so-called productive season in Arizona and since has been on four different teams with lackluster production. After getting traded to Toronto, some questions were raised if he could once again become this productive middle six forward after recording 12 points in 26 games plus 4 points in 6 postseason games for the Maple Leafs. He got to play alongside Matthews, Marner, Nylander and Tavares when Toronto suffered from injuries. But the big question still looms if he is worth the risk because he will most likely take ice time from upcoming talent. On the hindsight, if he could be signed to a cheap deal, he could be dealt to another team with relative ease. But the biggest thing is that he isn't a solid in the defensive zone. So if he isn't prolific enough to play top 6 minutes and not good enough defensively, I could see him transitioning to KHL fairly soon if he doesn't find a way to create value for himself. While in Toronto, he wasn't bad, but like I said, it could be a gamble to sign him in regards of what he would be asking, but no winners or losers in this trade. The next trade saw two Finns changing scenery as Toronto flipped defenseman Mikko Lehtonen to Columbus in exchange for goaltender Veini Vehviläinen, who had a subpar season once he came to North America. Likewise, Lehtonen had a terrific start to his season in the KHL, notching 17 points in 17 games, but that unfortunately didn't carry across the pond since he recorded 3 assists in 9 games for the Maple Leafs and was left behind other D-men in the roster fighting for ice time. Once he arrived in Columbus, he only played 17 games and added 3 assists to his score sheet. And the same thing carried over from Toronto where he was left fighting for ice time in their back end. But if he stays in North America, I hope that he can find his two-way game and get an actual chance to show why he was voted as the best defenseman in the KHL. Next notable trade happened on March 26th when Buffalo traded veteran Eric Stahl to Montreal while retaining half of his salary and got third and fifth round picks in exchange. Like I've said in the previous episodes, I was pleasantly surprised of how much value he brought to the Canadiens lineup. While in Buffalo, he had 10 points in 32 games and was dash 20 in those 32 games, which is understandable when looking at what kind of seasons the Sabres had. Once he arrived in Montreal, he only notched 3 points in 21 games and was minus 10 in the regular season, but his presence and experience showed in the playoffs. 8 points in 21 games ain't bad, and while his legs and puck skills are not the same as 5 years ago, he brought his work ethic each night and that was the big boost to their locker room. We'll see where he finds himself next season now that teams have seen that he still has some value, especially in the postseason. Then on April 2nd, 
Chicago Blackhawks acquired back their former sixth round pick Vinny Hinestrosa in exchange for Florida Panthers fourth round pick Brad Morrison. Hinestrosa had few fairly productive seasons in Arizona before signing one year deal in Florida where he only played nine games without points and got dealt back to Chicago where he found his groove again. In 17 games he recorded 12 points and probably doing so earned himself another paycheck since the Blackhawks are currently in a somewhat rebuild mode and have spots to fill in their lineup. Florida gained space to their cap ceiling and Chicago got back a player which can contribute in middle six role for them so all in all win-win for both teams. Five days later started the trade deadline frenzy as the New Jersey Devils and New York Islanders opened the game with package deal. New Jersey received AHL players AJ Greer, Mason Jobs in addition to the Islanders this year's first round and fourth round picks while Kyle Palmieri and Travis Sajak went the other way. The first round pick could pay dividend in the future since it is widely considered weaker draft than usual but because some of the players didn't even play competitive hockey this season it makes it hard for teams to evaluate players based on their previous seasons and some late first rounders and early second rounders could drop in the draft order and become better players than some players drafted in the top 15. The Islanders received two seasoned veterans in this trade and related to what they gave up it is a reasonable outcome for both teams since Travis Ajak didn't have at least in my mind the impact they were hoping for while Palmieri delivered for them in the postseason. He recorded 7 goals and 2 assists in 19 games and came up clutch in few games by scoring the game winner. They both brought their presence and experience into Isles lineup but Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to get them into the Stanley Cup Finals. The next day, Florida kept dumping their bigger contracts in order to make room to the cap ceiling when they sent another package to Chicago. This time, it was Brett Connolly's time to change the scenery after lackluster second season in Florida, alongside defenseman Riley Stillman and former first-round pick Henrik Borgström. In return, Florida acquired forward Lucas Walmark and defenseman Lucas Carlson. Connolly recorded just 4 points in 21 games in Florida and added another 2 points in 10 games for the Blackhawks. So it can be said that he wasn't worth the 2.425 salary he was signed to the previous year. Same goes with Walmark, who only had 3 points in total while dressing in 20 games last season for both teams and now he is property of CSKM Moscow after bouncing around the last two seasons. When it comes to the other pieces in this trade, Stillman hasn't found a way to solidify his spot in D-man rotation and his defensive numbers have been pretty bad during the past few seasons which tells why he has had few stints in the always hungry league as a wall. Borgström spent the last season in Finland where he started slow but his production increased in the later part of the season and gathered a total of 21 points in 30 games plus 5 points in 8 postseason games. He is still a big question mark when it comes to his future since he was drafted in the first round and had tremendous seasons in the NCAA but couldn't solidify his spot in the Panthers lineup. He has shown that he has the skill set to become a very solid top 9 NHL forward 
and I'm hoping that Blackhawks will give him a chance to show his worth and become NHL regular. Last piece of the puzzle was defenseman Lucas Carlson, who has shown glimpses of solid two-way top six defenseman, but hasn't been able to stay in the bright lights very long. His skating is his biggest asset, and he has been putting good numbers on the board in the AHL offensively. But if he doesn't break into the NHL next year, I could see him in Europe relatively soon, since the bigger eye surface would suit his playstyle and work as a stepping stone to become that top 6 defenseman in the NHL. So all in all, both teams got some intriguing players in this trade, who could benefit from a change of scenery, and the next few years will determine if any of them become NHL regulars. On April 10th, the Florida Panthers made the available cap space count as they acquired defenseman Brandon Montour from Buffalo Sabres in exchange for a third round pick. He had overall pretty mediocre season this year, but the biggest win for him was probably to get out of Buffalo. The third rounder Panthers gave up was pretty much equal to what they got from him after the trade since he had 4 points in 12 games. But when you compare it to, for example, what Montreal got in return for their third rounder, you would probably expect more from him in the postseason, especially when their number one defenseman Aaron Ekblad was missing and his ice time was distributed to other players. Zero points in six games in the postseason just isn't enough. He is in UFA this summer, so we'll see where he ends up next season. On that same day, Colorado flipped Craig Patterin who they got from Minnesota to San Jose in exchange for Devon Dubnik, whose game has plummeted during the last few seasons. Both teams added some depth, but nothing more needs to be said about that trade. The last trade on that day was a three-way trade between Columbus, Detroit and Tampa Bay. Columbus received Tampa's 32nd pick in this year's draft, in addition to their 2022 third rounder, while they sent David Savard to Detroit who then retained 50% of his salary and flipped him to Tampa Bay in exchange for their fourth round pick and we know how that story ended for Savard. He became a Stanley Cup champion and he brought grit and defensive ability to Paul's back end. He was very welcome addition to Tampa's lineup and made them even tougher to play against in the postseason. So I'd say this was a win for all parties since Columbus added another first rounder to their selection while Detroit got complimented for their salary retainment and Tampa got good defensive defensemen to their lineup. The next day Columbus was once again involved in a three-way deal but this time the two other teams were San Jose and Toronto. Blue Jackets received another first-round draft pick, this time Toronto's 26th pick of the draft, alongside 2022 fourth-rounder, while San Jose retained half of Nick Foligno's contract and received Toronto's fourth-round pick and flipped Foligno eventually to Toronto. Foligno had a decent start in Toronto by notching four points in seven games during the regular season, but suffered an injury in the fourth game against the Canadians and missed the remaining three. This time I must say that there were only two winners in this one since Toronto were atrocious in the postseason and unfortunately Foligno suffered the injury which set back the team a bit. But that isn't the end for the Leafs because on that same day they also acquired forward David Riddick 
from the Flames in exchange for their 2022 third rounder. And big save Dave ended up playing in four games for the Leafs and recorded 0.888 save percentage while goals against average being 2.71. He didn't play any postseason games so you could say another fat L for the Leafs. And all in all it was pretty hefty price to pay for winning three games in the postseason and losing your first next year's third and two fourth rounders. If Dubas can perform magic in the offseason, they are running out of chips to acquire players in the next trade deadline and have to heavily rely upon free agents since they are very close to the maximum cap space. So else all the way for the Leafs and Redick will most likely end up elsewhere since he is UFA this summer. Then Boston made a smart acquisition when they traded their next year's third round pick to Ottawa in exchange for defenseman Mike Riley, who ended up being very solid addition for the Bees. While in Ottawa, he had 19 points in 40 games and exploded to 8 points in 15 games in Boston. His offensive ability really stuck out since most of their decor are defensive minded and was appointed to quarterback their second power play unit from the get-go. He wasn't bad in the postseason either, notching 4 points in 11 games, and the hope is that he can be resigned in Boston after such a good performance at the end of the season. The next day was the final day of the trade deadline and the floodgates opened. Pittsburgh began the trading when newly appointed Brian Burke and Ron Hextall traded for LA Kings veteran Jeff Carter and sent two conditional picks in exchange to LA. This was probably one of the most surprising trades in this year's trade deadline since before coming to Pittsburgh, Carter had just 19 points in 40 games and it looked like he had lost his production for good, but that was far from the truth. He played 14 games in the regular season and scored 9 goals while adding 2 helpers in the process, and the same thing continued in the postseason as well. In 6 games he scored 4 goals and added 1 assist, but their journey ended there as Pittsburgh's goaltending was just awful and they got eliminated from the postseason. If they still want to compete for the Stanley Cup, they have to address the goaltending situation next season. I'll say that it probably was one of the better trades in this year's deadline, and by that I mean it could have had a surprisingly big impact to both the team and the player in this year's playoffs, but I'm not saying that he will be rejuvenated and once again reach 60 points next season, absolutely not. He has only one year remaining at 2.67 cap hit for the next season, which is very manageable thanks to Kings retaining 50% of his contract. So we'll see if he can find the spark next season in the Penguins uniform, but if not, that kind of contract can be flipped for assets at the deadline. Then we have the big one, and to no one's surprise, Buffalo is involved once again. They probably would have traded their whole staff for assets if it would have been possible at this rate. They traded bottom six forward Curtis Lazar and former first overall pick Taylor Hall to Boston Bruins in exchange for Anders Björk and Boston's second round draft pick. Björk who was expected to establish himself as a reliable top nine forward in Boston couldn't find foothold. Björk who was expected to establish himself as a reliable top nine forward in Boston 
couldn't find foothold in the top three lines and we saw his ice time plummet from previous years. In 30 games in Boston he only had 5 points but once his ice time rose in Buffalo he was able to put up 6 points in 15 games. He still isn't considered as a surefire point producer but could find a spot in the middle 6 as a complementary forward who struggles a bit in the defensive zone. He was seen as a failed experiment in Boston so it wasn't a heartbreak for Beast fans to see him leave even though he was very liked by their fans. On the other hand Boston acquired two very good pieces, one scoring forward and one reliable bottom six two-way forward. While Lazar hasn't posted series numbers in his career in the show, he has found a way to stay in the rotation by playing extremely reliable two-way game and specializing in penalty killing situations. He put up four points in 17 games in Boston which was upgraded from his numbers in Buffalo but only put up one point in the postseason as the Bruins got beat by the Islanders. Hall on the flip side was just what Boston fans wanted, the speedy winger who can play on the wing of David Krejci and create scoring chances each time he's on the ice. During his time in Buffalo he only registered 19 points in 37 games which was probably a red flag to many fans before arriving to Boston and some people already said that it was a huge overpayment for washed up Hart Trophy winner who had no Stanley Cups to his name but fortunately they were very wrong. Holt took Boston by storm by notching 14 points in 16 games at the end of regular season and added another 5 points in 11 postseason games. He has come out and said that he would be willing to stay in Boston and take a pay cut to finally be a part of competitive team but we'll see how the Bruins can manage their cap situation and what kind of moves they make in the offseason. Hall has once again surprised many people and made it clear that he still has the knack for point producing so it will be interesting to see if the Bees are willing and able to keep Hall in Boston. On that same day Vancouver got rid of their former college standout Adam Godet who was traded to Chicago in exchange for bottom 6 energy player Matthew Highmore. Godet wasn't able to reach same kind of production level as in the previous seasons so he was left hanging in Vancouver and Chicago took a gamble on his one year contract. After the trade players raised their production and especially Godet who had struggled to put up points was able to notch 4 points in the remaining 7 regular season games. He is a new effect this summer so we'll see if the Blackhawks are willing to take the gamble on him once again since he isn't good in his own zone but has shown flashes of offensive production. Right after that Edmonton and Colorado added their pieces to their lineup when the Oilers traded their 2022 4th round pick to New Jersey for defenseman Dmitry Kulikov and the Avs acquired Carl Söderberg from the Blackhawks in exchange for Josh Dickinson and rights to former NHL player Brian Ralston's son Ryder. Both Kulikov and Söderberg were complementary additions to respective lineups and as expected neither of them made a huge impact after the trades. Kulikov provided steady defensive game and Söderberg was brought back to Colorado to add two-way ability to their bottom six but won't be there next season since he already signed contract with Malmo Redhawks in the SHL. 
Another change of scenery kind of trade happened between the Flames and the Panthers when Sam Bennett alongside Calgary's 2022 sixth round pick was dealt to Eastern Conference in exchange for Emil Heinemann and Florida's 2022 second round pick. Bennett played 38 games in Calgary this season and was only able to put up 12 points in that stretch. But once he landed in Florida, he went lights out. In the last 10 games of the regular season, he exploded to 15 points in those 10 games, and it started to look like he was a bargain compared to the next year's second rounder. He continued his production in the postseason as well, notching 5 points in 5 games for the Panthers, but unfortunately, they faced the Stanley Cup champs Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round and got eliminated from the playoffs. He will be in UFA this summer, so if Florida isn't able to sign him this offseason, he will find a suitable taker pretty quickly because now he has shown that he has more to his game than physical edge and playoff production. At the same time, Chicago's rebuild was on full throttle and next they acquired second and 2022 third round picks from Vegas in a three-way deal with San Jose. They sent Matthias Janmark to San Jose who got 2022 fifth round pick for their effort to retain 50% of Janmark's cap hit and after that flipped him to Vegas. This was once again a beneficial trade for all parties since the additional draft picks may pay dividend to rebuilding teams while Vegas received a struggling bottom six forward who was able to turn things around once the playoffs started. He put up 5 points in 15 games in the regular season and blossomed to 8 points in 16 games in the postseason and provided speed, two-way ability and additional scoring to their bottom six. He is a new FA, but he will find a suitor if the Golden Knights won't sign him this summer. Then we head to Detroit where GM Steve Iserman is doing wonders for the Red Wings organization. This time he brought a top six winger, Czech Vrana, to the roster alongside middle six forward Richard Panik, Washington's first round and 2022 second round draft picks in exchange for big power forward Anthony Mantha. Vrana wasn't a slouch during his time in Washington and was a key piece when the Caps won their Stanley Cup in 2018. This season he had 25 points in 39 games before the trade and the added ice time in Detroit only added to his scoring output since in 11 games he was on point per game pace. Mantha who had struggled in Detroit really never reached the output levels he was hoped to achieve and he was dealt to the Capitals to bring his net front presence and top 6 scoring to their lineup but didn't blossom the way Vrana did in Detroit. He had 21 points in 42 games before the trade and continued right where he left off and scored 8 points in the remaining 14 games of the regular season, thus was only able to add 2 assists in 5 games during the postseason, which was a disappointment for the Caps. To me this seems like a one-sided trade where Iserman was again able to fleece the opposing team since Mantha is signed until 2023-2024 season with a cap hit of 5.7 5.7 million. While Vrana is RFA this summer and alongside him, Detroit got first and second rounders and complimentary depth piece. Vrana will get a pay raise this offseason and will be a part of the rebuilding process in Detroit, while Caps are most likely going to get rid of Yevgeny Kuznetsov's antics to add space to their cap ceiling. 
But like I said, to me this looks like a Detroit got the long end of the stick in this trade. Next, the Philadelphia Flyers dealt their defenseman Eric Gustafsson to Montreal for 2022 7th round pick, which was another good deal from Habs GM Mark Bergevin. He recorded 2 points in 5 games during the regular season and added another 3 points in 16 games in the postseason. He added puck moving ability to their blue line while being a solid second power play unit quarterback. Even though he wasn't the most prolific himself in Montreal, the 7th rounder seems like a bargain for his abilities on the blue line. He will be in UFA and will find Suter either in Montreal or somewhere else coming the next season. The last notable trade in this year's deadline was when San Jose Sharks added Russian winger Alexander Barabanov to their lineup in exchange for depth forward Antti Suomela, who was headed to Toronto in this deal. Barabano wasn't able to find his game in Toronto because of the stack lineup, but once he arrived to West Coast, his production rocketed from his previous numbers. In nine games, he notched seven points and kept up his scoring output in the World Championships as well, while earning one million extension for next year in San Jose. I've said this in the previous episode that this guy will be my runner-up when it comes to the next prolific Russian point producer, if he can find chemistry and good enough linemates either in San Jose or somewhere else. If he doesn't find his groove in California, I could see a trade where Barabano will be dealt to a contender who needs additional scoring if the Sharks are not real contenders next season. But there you have it, that's all for this week. It was very refreshing to bring pieces from the past and see how all the trades turned out for each team while some outcomes we can see once the time passes. It was the longest episode so far, so big thanks if you made it this far. And if you did, please send me a message if you would like this kind of episodes in the future as well, where we look back in time to see how the past has dictated the future. But I won't hold you any longer. It was a fun ride and we can set our sights to upcoming weekend where the new European champions will be crowned and the Notorious will take on the diamond for the last time. Thank you once again for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Feedback will be greatly appreciated. But otherwise, stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. Alright.